Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Lisa Dennis. It's great to have you on because I know we're both women sales pro and we've been floating around each other for a long time. So thank you for being on the podcast. I am thrilled to be here, Janice. I don't know why we didn't get we didn't connect sooner. I really don't, but I'm thrilled to be here today. Excellent, excellent. So I really want to delve into this um, the, um, chat. Um, we've got Jasper AI, and we've got um, Chat GPT. We've got all of these kind of like uh, AI generated trends around messaging and things. So I'd really like your point of view on how this is going to affect sales messaging over the next year or so. Well, I think I think what's interesting is even though we're all sort of jumping on this bandwagon recently, there's a lot going on in the background. And so there are tools, sales tools already. I was looking at uh, recently at um, Reggie.ai, uh, where they're really diving in and they're serving up, you know, uh, AI generated cold emails um, as a way to push the, the prospecting engine a little bit faster. I, I think there's some advantages in some applications um, in order to kind of streamline some of those early demand gen kind of uh, digital conversations uh, in two ways. I think it, it 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 helps set kind of a standard, right? So at least we've got some kind of a consistent um, uh, approach. Um, and I think um, the other piece of it that I think is really important is that it can also help personalization a bit, which is always a which is always a challenge in almost every organization, right? So you know, working with individual business development reps or or account execs that I've worked with over the years. You know, not all of them are writers. In fact, the majority of them aren't, right? So you get all kinds of stuff. So then, of course, you know, your sales enablement team or someone like me will come in and kind of pull together those messages, but then having to show them, and this is where you personalize, and this is where you add a piece of content about or a sentence about your specific person. So I think that that could be really, really helpful um, from that perspective. Um, it, it sort of struck a little bit of fear in all of us, I think. Right. Anybody who creates content for a living, anybody who's you know working with with sales teams or with marketing teams, myself included. And then it's like, OK, let's really look at this, because the reality is as effective as it might be, there are challenges. And one of them is that it doesn't have a voice. It does not have a voice. It's a very kind of like homogenized. Here's the information. And I think there's two challenges with that is that your buyers have a voice. And it would be really helpful if when you spoke to them, you were sounded just like it, right? So I have this, this uh, point of view that really what we need to be doing is we need as sales professionals and marketing professionals to speak buyer. And that is their voice, their language, the way they talk about it, you know, not a kind of a homogenized or corporatized uh, version of what situation they're in and how we're going to solve it. 
And that's what's really, I think, missing from this whole piece. So as a bottom layer to do that first, you know, stab at it, right? That first, but then to take it back and look at it and go, does this make sense? Does it cover everything? Let's look at the voice here. How do we change that? Let's get customer or buyer language in it. I think that needs to be applied. I truly do. So the salesperson speaks directly to the buyer, but the salesperson, as you say, they're not always natural writers, but also isn't it about being natural listeners to really pick up on the words I you know my background is in sales but it's also in customer experience and we did lots of customer journeys and we literally um, used to record the words the buyer or whoever we're interviewing says it's really important and I know that this is a real hot area for you as well so the salespersons they're thinking about what am I going to say next and you know they're listening for the cues as to what they're going to say next, but they're not actually listening to the words and the phrases that the customer or the buyer might be using. So how do you help a salesperson do that? I think one of the things that um, a a lot of the organizations that I've worked with, you know, they, they may make an investment in voice of the customer research. They may be doing persona research where they're not as good as actually getting that into the hands of salespeople and teaching them how to use it. Right. So how do you extract the, that, that language and embed it um, so that the, each of the sales reps understand when we're talking about this, these are the these are the key words that everyone is using, right? That these these particular targets are using. These are the ways that we describe our own offering, not using our inside language, but in terms of how they they are talking about it in their environments. And so, I do think it's about arming them with them and showing them how to use that, right? Rather than here's some ready made content, go with it, and. Mm-hmm. and and then kind of jump off on the conversation over there. I, I think there's some conversational training that needs to happen in terms of here's your personas. Here's how they speak about what they're doing, right? Here's how we speak about how we help in that same language, right? And that's not necessarily natural because the majority of the content that's there is very much inside focused and we're pushing it out. So there's this translation piece. And I think we lean on our salespeople to do that translation. And I think some of them are great at it. I think um, but that's uneven, right? That's uneven and it's not consistent. And it depends. on. And it's, I think it's really interesting, um, Lisa, that it's the salesperson that's speaking to the buyer. So they've got direct contact, contact with the language. But actually, you're getting the marketing people to uh, perhaps do the research. Right. Strange when the salesperson's already in it and then actually getting the salesperson to interpret that or or, or get on board to this language. So there seems to be a real disconnect here. Why are companies using a language that is foreign to their buyers? Why is the sales process so focused internally? Why are we creating all of these uh, analogies and jargons and you know tech speak marketing speak corporate speak why are companies still continuing to do that rather than actually speaking the language of the customer <laughs> why why is that happening 
I'm going to be really, really blunt and direct because we get paid to market and sell our stuff. Okay. That's what we get paid for. And that's kind of, and, and that's where the majority of the effort, the dollars, the resources are in terms of to pull that, to explain that first to ourselves, quite honestly. Right. And then, and then to, to everyone else, I think there's inherently a skill set gap um, on both sides of the marketing and sales equations. It really comes down to who has the skills, bandwidth, and resources to do research, number one. I don't know about you, but it's it's a very, what you found, but I think it's a small percentage of account execs who have the time and the skill set to do really deep research and the patience, right? This takes away from selling time, takes them away from, from all of that. That's the first part. Marketing is better, is better suited for that. How they deliver that, however, needs to kind of ups, needs to be upskilled, right? It's not like, here's, your, here's this research report, have at it. No, got to really pull out the nuggets, the insights. You've got to have conversations with sales about it. You've got to actually show how that has an impact. Um, you know, again, going back to sharing some of the, of that research piece, the conversation, and then on the flip side, marketing doesn't spend enough time with sales or with customers. I do, I have for the last eight years been doing a lot of account-based marketing. I was a senior consultant with um, ITSMA, uh, now uh, Momentum, um, you know, on the ABM side of things. And I think there's a huge opportunity and I've been working with a lot of global marketing, field marketing teams to get them to engage differently with the account teams on the, the accounts that they're focusing on because you've got to be able to step up and have those kinds of conversations with sales, as opposed to here's the events that are coming up, and uh, here's a piece of collateral, and you know here's here's our leads for the week. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna push back. I want to delve into this because what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is all of these different silos, and you know, it's disheartening that we're paid to create those silos you know this is what we're paid to do we're paid to create these barriers to customers and I would like to just break through all of this I would really like to uh, there are a lot of we off camera we were talking about ed tech health tech we we're talking about the we're both working on different accelerator programs and how exciting it is and these companies are really kind of like building from the ground up and it's often they're very much embedded in the research to create the whatever tech. And often, I don't know if you find this, that um, they think they need to have these silos, these structures, because they may have come out of large companies. And actually, it's no, you need to start with the conversation you have with the customer start understand what the value the customer wants from you and then understand how you deliver that and only create systems and processes that do that don't right. start internally with i need to have a sales department at abm and marketing they don't speak to one another you know you get consultants in someone's paid to do this to explain their own system to them it seems crazy and the exciting thing of working with companies um, founders that don't know how they should structure these things is to actually get them to structure it correctly. So I don't know what your your thoughts are around all of this area because yeah, I'm just kind of thinking, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I think there's there's great opportunity, right, in that accelerator environment. I think um, I think with with larger companies in mid market and enterprise, where I spend most of my time, that's like moving um, that's like moving an aircraft carrier, right? It, it really is. So you're looking at you know years and years and years and years and years, and and there's a lot. To, it, it's it's not undoable. I'm going to be that. I just it's not undoable. So you know where can you create uh, programs or where can you create um, key instances within the organization where you can come together and do things a bit differently? Because I don't think that the organizational structure at the enterprise level is going to change anytime soon. I, I really don't. And, and 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 what I have seen, though, is a variety of, of different ways of, of marshalling. And those organizations that can marshal around customer experience, uh, who can marshal around uh, uh, you know, the, the prospect audience are breaking into new markets and to do that in a more collaborative team. I think that's, that's the opportunity, right? That's the opportunity. And, you know, it's usually not organization wide. So, you, you know, you divide and conquer, let's start here and make that work. Let's start here and make that work. Let's start here and make that work. Um, uh, one of the companies that um, has been working with ITSMA um, for a really long time was SAP. And when they started their ABM program eight or nine years ago, they actually put together a, a hand-selected team of marketing and salespeople to really focus on about 40 accounts. And that was a very siloed organization. And it, this requires, this is going to work. We have to completely work in a different way. And they completely you know, did everything differently. And it was hugely successful, hugely successful. Now that's not to say that They've now completely reorganized the organization because they have not, but, but, but that model is replicable. That model can be used over and over and over. So there's something to be thinking about is, is this more of a, uh, is this more of a, um, I don't know if the right word world would be, it's, it's not triage, but is this really, is this really sort of a, a lab? that we can point at different areas of the organization, different offerings, different solutions, different market segments to get our arms around that and to work more collaboratively. I think there's opportunity there. I think that's a a fantastic uh, example, but it has to be led somewhere at the top in order for that to happen. So I wonder if we need to be speaking directly to the senior management team, the CEOs, you know, that's where we need to be communicating about this change. And, you know, it's maybe as, and I agree with you with enterprise organizations, it's like the Titanic, but let's hope they don't end up like the Titanic, but it takes such a long time to steer the organization. It has to be led from the top in order to have the vision of what uh, the organization could be and then obviously to to pilot it in the same way that SAAP did um, so how do you start to have that conversation at the top how do you start to um, give the vision of of what uh, organizations should be moving towards and and having the courage to make steps in that direction I think um, I, I think the pilot, which is a word not everyone wants to use, I do still think is a very effective way because you you really got to earn that conversation at the top, and and the, the the making the case for that kind of change and that kind of investment um, almost requires some um, 
it almost requires some testing. So, you know, what I have, you know, in the last few years, um, I've been working with kind of senior level, like, you know, senior VPs, SVP minus ones to build out, here's the model, here's the structure. Let's put together the pilot. Let's learn from it. Let's bring it up and then get it to the very top. And, you know, and we've been able to do that because we had something tangible to speak to. Here's what we've already driven. Okay. Here's the changes it's made. And now if we extrapolate this to the next level, in order to get this kind of result, this is what we have to do organizationally. And, and that it takes time. Um, absolutely takes time, but you go in with proof already. And I think, I think it's really hard. We all want to speak to the CEO, right? Everybody wants to speak to the CEO. But the question is, what's top of mind for them? How relevant are you? And what can you bring that's tangible for them to actually see, yes, this will have value? I think that's the bigger, the bigger challenge. So it's interesting because a lot of the teams that I work with, particularly on the ABM side, everybody wants to go to the C-suite. And I always say, is the C-suite going to roll up their sleeves, evaluate your solution, you know, test, do all of the things. They are not. They're going to go to their direct reports. So we need to have the conversation at both levels. And that, and those levels have to be relevant, right? Not the same message to both, but that has to happen in tandem. And that leads us beautifully into value propositions, because I love what you say about not the same message to both. And you must have done this like me so many times when a, um, uh, a we have a pitch to an organization and the sellers think that it's one pitch to, you know, it's often a smaller mid cap company that's pitching to a large company and they have the one pitch deck. And they're very proud of the value proposition and they think they go in with the one. Whereas a, 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 whether you're communicating internally for a change or externally and building the value behind the proposition, it isn't one, one communication to all because everyone has a very different perspective at all different levels in the organization. So I'm really interested in value propositions that sell and, and very much it's about turning your message into the magnet that not only attracts buyers but gets people to say yes internally and externally so tell me more about what companies internally externally do wrong and how they can do it right use this metaphor all the time a value proposition is an is a mirror okay when your prospect looks in that mirror i always ask people whose face do you think they want to see right? I can guarantee you it isn't yours, right? Right? It's it's their own basic human nature. And so the problem with a pitch that fits everybody is that it fits no one, right? Usually the value prop ends up being somewhat generic, light on detail, not nuanced in any way. So what I would say to a CFO is definitely not the same than, who I, than what I would say to an SVP of operations, or, you know, so connected, but different. So I like to think about value propositions as being, there should be a hierarchy of them, okay? If you have a, a, a company value prop, a corporate value prop, great. Overarching, that's fine. Some people mix up their mission, visions, and values with that. That's a whole other conversation. But, but the reality is, you know, let's just look at the hierarchy. That's at the top, right? Here's the value we bring to our customers. Bang, okay? 
underneath that, you have opportunity to really. So one of the ways that I I ask people to consider their value proposition is to metaphorically think of it as a mirror, literally. Your buyer hears it, sees it, experiences it, reads it. It's a mirror. When they look into that mirror, the real question is whose face do they want to see? They want to see yours and your organization's? Probably not, okay? All right. They want to see their own because that's what's relevant. It's, a, it's basic human nature. We care about ourselves first. Unfortunately, the majority of value props that are out there are very much inward looking. So it's about, it's about our company, our solutions, our this and all of that. And what we do is we attach to pain points, okay? And we say it's customer focused because we have their pain points. I see a lot of them that are reverse engineered from this, the features and benefits you can deliver. And we reverse engineer those to pain points and we say we're customer focused. What's missing, what's really missing is how they talk about those in their own language, right? Um, what does that really mean for them? Um, I th- think we should think about um, m- multiple versions of a value prop. Think about them as a hierarchy because uh, a, a single value prop, a one size fits value prop fits no one. That's the reality. What I would say to a CFO and what I would say to an SVP of ops um, would be significantly different. Are there overlap? Absolutely, but not 100%. What I might say to um, you know a head of education is going to be quite different than what I'm going to say to my CEO, right? So there's those kinds of nuances that we need to really think through. So think about having a corporate value prop, right? Here's the value we deliver to the market and to our customers. And underneath that, then you array the different versions. So you could have value props by solution, which many organizations do. You could go even further, right? You could have value props by role. And I see some of those sometimes side by side, right? Or or they're, they're layered down that way. Um, you can have value props by use case. There's a lot of different variations. You want to come up with sort of what your consistent layout is. And when you have that, then that by definition starts to organize your layers of messaging. When is it appropriate to have a pure product service solution conversation? That's probably not at the top of the hierarchy. That's probably mid or lower, right? Because what we really want to do is make sure that we actually have a conversation about value. And value is defined by the buyer, right? Rather than us saying, look, 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 this is what we have. Isn't this valuable, right? So I think that there's there's this middle layer, right? Between who we are and, and what we want to sell, where that has to be completely tuned to a buyer conversation. And that means coming at it from their point of view before we ever pitch. And I'm, I'm a marketing and salesperson who hates elevator pitches. I hate them with a passion. Necessary evil, right? I get it. But what if you did a pitch that started with them instead of yourself? You know, so that's some of the things I've been working on with some of the accelerators recently. Yeah. It's like if Elevator pitch starts with your company name or your product name. You slap won't. yourself, <laughs> right? Slap yourself. It's like, okay, I'm pitching to you now. It's not really engaging. Yeah. So I'm trying to kind of have everybody say, let's take a breath and give them a reason to step forward. What they really want to see is, do you understand my industry? Like in depth, do you understand the implications of what's going on? Do you understand what's, what my role is and what are the major drivers of my role? Do you understand what's happening in my company? Like do your homework and pull from that, right? And that's the stuff that you build in that makes your value proposition relevant and, and valuable from that perspective. And I do think um, 
it's it, by definition, you are more differentiated. It's really, you know, it's hard to differentiate. Differentiation is the hardest part, I think, of value props. But if you can differentiate yourself right out of the gate by actually showing up in a relevant way, um, the majority of them aren't that way. So there you go. And then you can get into what's really different about your offering and really different outcomes that they'll get. Yeah. Yeah. Your perspective of value propositions uh, appears to be um, the message, you know, making sure that lands and lands in the buyer's language. Malcolm McDonald, who I've interviewed on Scale Your Sales podcast, his perspective of value propositions is quantifiable value to the customer. So what's your view on the, the, the differences between the two things? Are they both value propositions? You know, can you have one without the other? How does it work? That's an interesting question. And I, I, I'm familiar with, um, with uh, uh, Professor McDonald. Um, he also was an advisor to ITSMA for a number of years. Um, with a value prop, I built out something called a value proposition platform. And this is something that really helps organizations in that we're getting at that value proposition statement, which in my world comes in three parts. There's the buyer piece of the statement, the offer piece, and then the differentiator. What most of them don't have is the backup. The backup is what are the top three to five value drivers of that audience you're trying to get to? How do you quantify that value, that value driver, right? You can quantify it in two ways. You can quantify it with numbers, right? Which is the tra traditional way. And not all of them are quantifiable, right? Some of them are more qualitative. Or you could go the qualitative route and say, give me some detail around how you address this value driver specifically. And then you back those up, each one of those with objective third-party proof. Obviously, customer testimonials, case studies, all of that. But in the absence of that, there are lots of other things you can do outside. So are there any industry experts? Are there any, you know, reports and data and all of that that can back that up? Yes, it's real. Yes, it's important. And we're not the only ones saying that. And that together drives it, right? So I don't think value props, you know, have to all be financially based. Not all of them can be, right? But where you can, you should, and you have to use real numbers and you have to really be able to, to, to prove it. Just demonstrable and, and with proof. And sometimes when I, I push to say, you know, okay, you're telling them you can save money. Well, that's nice. Everybody tells them that, you know, are you going to put a stake in the ground? Like what's the range? What's the, we can't do that. They're going to expect it. I said, of course they are. But if you don't say how and to what extent, then really it's, it's don't even put it there. It's fluff. Everybody says they're going to increase efficiency and decrease cost and uh, improve, uh, go to, you know, go to market and all of that. Well, you have to do that in tangible terms. Otherwise, that's not a real conversation. Yeah, yeah, love that, love that. Um, so this is a one that's a bit left field. I'd like to know if you're on a desert island on your own, Lisa. What's the one thing you would take with you? This will probably sound uh, funny, especially in the world of you know, chat GBT and all of that. But I would go to a desert island with a with a book full of blank pages and a pen attached. So that's my one thing. Okay, yeah. I would go with a book. I would go with a journal. Um, Every aspect of my life, um, since I've been 10 years old, every aspect of my business, I, I literally am using a, a good like moleskin book and a pen because 
the depth and breadth and possibilities that a blank sheet of paper can give you opens the door to everything, to absolutely everything. Thought, consideration, ideation, creation, structure, design, memory, right? All of which apply, right? And then you can leverage that. There it is in front of you. You can le- leverage that and jump to the next page. So it's 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 a giant pool. When you open up and see those blank pages, it's a giant pool. And I, I think that would be it. That would be the most thing because it's unlimited. I think I'm with you there. There you go. I'm old school as well. There is something about as soon as you write it down, it's almost, it's committed to a deeper memory. Um, this, it opens up something else, just the process of writing down in the way that it kind of channels your 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 thoughts so or, or visualizing things drawing things and yeah so i'm 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 very much with write, writing thing things down even if you never look at it again the fact that you've written it down right. it seems to be lodged um there so so yeah and i also i um i thought when I, I I um read that you put this down, you know, like there must be a way. So you're on a desert island and you run out of paper. So I'm <laughs> sure that you could you you know if you've got a pencil rather than a pen, I'm sure you could kind of wash it in seawater, clean it, and the what the 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 um the text would come off. You could dry it in the sun. This is how deep I'm going with your book. And I'm really trying to help you because you're not going to be rescued in a day. And I'm sure you're going to have lots to say in your book. So, yeah, this is this is where I went with it um, uh, to help you out there. So, uh, yeah. I, appreciate that. I already have a plan B, which is to get drag as many pebbles and yeah. small stones. Right. Yeah. And I write in the sand and then I can move them and do it again. And that's yeah. limitless. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you've got you're going pre-booked now aren't you <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes very creative it's excellent so lisa how can listeners get hold of you uh they can get a hold of me at valueproposition.com um where um all things value prop um and, and uh are, are there um you can also contact me at let's talk at valueproposition.com or L Dennis at valueproposition.com. Um, my company name is actually Knowledge and Associates. I own valueprop.com. So you can also get me. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Knowledge as well. Excellent. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We've had a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast, Lisa Dennis. Thank you so much, Janice. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.